0: Hey everybody, if you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The 7 Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word 7habits. That's the number 7habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Tim Hyam and he's a 25 plus year entrepreneur with several exits under his belt. He is currently the leading visionary and creator of what's called Ascend TMS, which is the world's most popular TMS software with over 30,000 customers in 20 countries. Tim and his team have been ranked on both the Inc. 5000 fastest growing company list, as well as top 100 logistics IT providers to watch. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks Dennis. Thanks for being here. We had some tech issues a couple weeks ago so we had to push this interview off a little bit, but all is good. We finally made the Zoom call and here we are. So, really appreciate you being here. And just to tease the audience a little bit. Today we're going to talk about how you were able to you ascend your your whole technology company here what it's in motion, right? In Motion
1: Global. Emotion yeah, Global is the holding company but Ascend TMS is the actual product name and most people know us as Ascend TMS.
0: Yeah, so how you were able to take Ascend TMS and how you were able to leverage a unique and interesting partnership model to really grow that business up and really ramp that business up because based on our prior conversations you have not used a lot of paid advertising it's been much more hand, you know, strategic than paid, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know, our average uh, customer acquisition cost, uh, sometimes people know it as a CAC is about $7.50, which is amazingly low, you know, to get yourself a paid customer. We do virtually no uh, paid advertising. Everything is either word of mouth or through our partnership distribution channels.
0: Yeah, I love it. So we're going to pull apart that partnership, that framework that allowed you to set up and monetize these very effective partnerships. I thought that was one of the things. That was like a real shining star in your story as we talked about it a little bit and how you've evolved and how this, you've grown into this massive TMS software. So just for everybody, just a reference point. TMS stands for transportation management software, transportation management system. It's my old industry. I was a, I had a logistics company. So Tim and I have some common ground here, hit some common history. And, but literally we just met each other not long ago through a mutual friend. So. All right. Well, give us a quick backstory. I mean, you've had several businesses. Take a couple minutes and just kind of give us a short path on how you got here today. And then we'll pull about that partnership model.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I usually joke with people They say, oh, well, where are you from? And I usually joke that I'm from Alabama, but, but I'm from the UK. Uh, came here 30, now what, 32 years ago. I'm 53 years old. And when I was a kid, I used to write computer games. I got my first computer when I was about 15 years old, a Sinclair electronics ZX81. It had 16K of memory with the expansion pack and 1K of memory as it came out of the box, which meant you could type 1,024 characters before you run out of memory. You know, it's just insane how far we've come. And I used to write computer games and I used, I loved it. But my mother and true, this is a true story, you know, said, look, if you're going to, you know, get a, a job, you need a real job. And to her, that was banking or accountancy, a doctor. I hate blood, so I couldn't be a doctor. And she said, you know, this whole computer game thing, Tim, you know, it's just a fad. The computers is, you know, just a fad that you know people forget about in a few years. So I went a up big to, you know,
0: waste of time. I'm sure- that- waste of time. I'm sure that Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and all their fathers and mothers probably said the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's so funny, right? You know uh, how you know different generations you know view things. I'm I'm sure that we probably look at things like social media. Don't go into social media. That's just such a fad, and you know look where it's gone. So, but the bottom line was, is she said, look, if you're gonna pursue this silly dream of yours, go get some qualifications in something real first. So, you know, my sister's an accountant. She's a CPA. Works in the city in London. And she said, look, do anything you want, become qualified in it, and then chase your dream. And then if the dream doesn't work out, you can go back into a boring banking job or accounting job. So I went to Lloyds of London. I finished my degree. I have a degree in mathematical economics. I went to work at the in the insurance business, and I became what's called a Chartered Property Casualty Underwriter, CPCU. I hated the business so much that in order to become a CPCU, which is the equivalent of a CPA for insurance, you've got to take 10 examinations. And most people spend five years to take those examinations. They usually fail two or three along the way, and then they become qualified. I hated the business so much that I did all ten examinations in two years. I didn't fail any. And the week after I became qualified, I left the insurance business and and I started this little computer company that was essentially using this brand new thing called a web browser. This is no joke. In nineteen you know ninety four ninety five, the web browser was brand new, and I started connecting these insurance company mainframe systems to this graphical user interface from the web browser. And to give you an idea how long ago that was, you couldn't even like center or right justify the text. Everything was left justified. There were these things called bulletin boards. And, And I just, I knew I was involved in insurance. I knew insurance inside now. I just became qualified. So I thought to myself, well, let me use what I know about business and insurance and connect it to the thing I love, which is computers. And we connected these mainframes to to the web, and and that's how I started in my kind of computer cloud-based career, so to speak.
0: So that was your first business. What happened with that? Did you end up selling that company?
1: Yeah, I started it in 1996. So uh, we sold it on April the 16th, 1998. Two years later. It's funny how those dates stand out, don't they? It's funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. I remember it. You know, you can you know look up the history. It was an insurance resource center. Got bought by a company called Homecom Communications. One of the early people that did online banking. Back in the day, you know, banks didn't have their own online banking divisions. You went to a third party and and procured their software, and so they basically bought the company for twenty-eight million dollars. I owned fifty percent of the company at the time. The guys that financed it owned the other fifty percent, and and I thought to myself, well, that's it. I've made it. You know, the ripe old age. I think I was thirty-two at the time. The problem was, of course, is that like everybody else, don't forget, this is nineteen ninety-eight, and this is just as the dot-com bubble was beginning to rise. So like everybody else, what do you do with $28 million? Well, you buy stock. Well, what stock do you buy? You buy all kinds of, you know, dot-com stocks like pets.com. And I could just go down the list of the things that went from, you know, essentially a dollar to zero, you know, overnight.
0: And then you can do what I did and buy it on margin, which is even better.
1: Oh, so that's a funny story. So a lot of my friends were like, Tim, you can go and you can take a million dollars and you can leverage it up and they'll give you another million dollars. So yeah, everybody got these margin accounts. And the one thing I did that was really smart is I didn't have any margin at all. So I bought my house and I paid off all my debts and I had about $2 million in cash, in cash accounts. But all the rest of it essentially went to zero. But at least I didn't owe people money like a lot of my friends did who had to declare bankruptcy.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And how did that transition into transportation? Because I think you then started a logistics company which led to where we are today. Can you bridge that gap quickly?
1: Yeah, so essentially I you know made my money. I did what every good Englishman did is basically moved to Florida. It's a dream of every Englishman to live near Disney World. <laughs> I moved to Florida and I met essentially my first wife who was in the the landscaping business of all things. And so I would go down to her nursery. She owned, I don't know, 100 acres. I've got no idea what it was. And they would grow ornamental plants for housing complexes and apartments. And I used to go down there just because, you know, you meet somebody and you fall for her and you want to spend every minute with her. And I would go down and watch these lumbering trucks come down the driveway and they would have the wrong paperwork. They wouldn't know where to go. And I said, where do you get these guys from? She said, well, I get them from this brokerage company called, and I still remember the name. I'm not going to say it just in case they're still around. X, X, let's call them XYZ brokerage. And I said, well, why do they never have the paperwork correct? And why, why, why? She says, I don't know. She said, there's these things called freight brokers and they hire these guys and they come. So I said, look, do you have Microsoft Excel on your computer? And she did. So I wrote a bunch of macros and, and essentially created this thing that I only later learned is called a TMS. And so when the trucks would come in, they would check in, you know, with the desk and we'd look on the computer and we got rid of all of the Excel buttons. Of course, it looked like a really simple computer program, but we organized essentially the, the loading and the delivery process. And then the farms, the nurseries around that area would come to us and say, Hey, you know, I hear that you're, you know, going to Atlanta twice a week now, and you're going to Charleston or to Birmingham, Alabama, you know, can we put a few pallets of our products on your truck? And well, yes, you can, and so I wrote a little bit more code, and that's essentially how you know I wrote this first thing called a TMS system, and and that essentially that company broke off into the the logistics company, the nursery actually got sold to John Deere, John Deere Landscapes, you know, the tractor people, because the nursery made so relatively speaking little money, and the logistics side of the business just grew like a weed. No pun intended, actually, I guess pun intended, and essentially we just grew the logistics side of the business, and. And we never looked back, and we kept adding to the TMS software as we needed to over time. And, and I learned about trucking and logistics from that experience.
0: So you spun off the software that you had built for your own logistics company, and that became the Ascend TMS.
1: Yeah. So we had a private record equity firm came in and basically bought the logistics company and the truck and the few trucks that we have as part of the, the brokerage. So they bought that um, out, and I. I said, look, while, you know, I made good money, you know, in the logistics world, it wasn't my love. My love was the software side of the business. So I bought the uh, intellectual property to take in motion global, the actual technology IP or intellectual property out of the business. I did that and I took two of the guys with me when I exited. I put a half million dollars into an account and I said to the guys, look, you know, I spent X amount of money getting the IP. Here's a half million dollars. When that goes down to zero, the egg timer is up basically. But when, you know, the objective, of course, is, you know, you write um, a pure cloud-based TMS that requires no downloads, no installs, no setup. I use the example of we're going to make it like Salesforce.com, which, as you know, when you were starting out, Goldmine and uh, Act and these other CRMs were, you know, prevalent at the time. And then Salesforce came in and said, why are you loading things with a CD? You should do this in the cloud. And so I said, I want to do the same thing to the TMS world. I want to do it all in the cloud, and I want there to be a free version. There has to be a free version for the little guy that's just starting his brokerage or has you know, one, two, three trucks. I want them to be able to get used to this software and then only pay for the bells and whistles. So that's what we did. And on January the 1st, 2015, we moved into a a tiny 800-square-foot office for the three of us. We spent about eight or nine months rewriting our software from the ground up, uh, first line of code on a white screen to basically make this vision become a reality. And then we launched it. We did a soft launch quietly. And about six hours after we put it online, we got our first account was created. And then four or five hours later, another account was created. And we just kept in adding more features. We would talk to those early users and, and we grew and grew and grew. About a year later, we were profitable. We basically all of the money that we that I invested, you know, was now growing, not diminishing. And to this day, you know, we continue to grow. We've gotten absolutely no debt. We're very profitable, and the vision remains the same: is to create a digital TMS software experience for the ninety percent of the software and lo- the logistics and uh, trucking world. Prior to this, has been ignored. Everybody could afford the big legacy players, which are good, like the McLeod's and. You know, the Mercury gates, the TMWs, but not everybody has a couple hundred thousand dollars and dedicated staff. So I said, let's let them continue to play in that, in their pool, and they can swap customers back and forth. That's not where the money is. The money is in the 90% of the market, which is essentially herding cats. You've got to provide this small entrepreneur, carrier, or, or broker with the tools that they need. I mean, just to give you an example, our average carrier has got 5.6 trucks per fleet. The average broker is around $9 million per broker, which is not bad. We've got some that are doing, you know, 70, 80 million and a whole bunch more are doing one or 2 million. And the average shipper customer has got under $50 million in freight spend. And that was the sweet spot for us. That was where the market was just yearning for software to help them. Got
0: it. So you built that software, launched it. You now have over 30,000 customers in over 20 countries, right? So and you're highly profitable and growing very rapidly. All right. So now that people have a pretty good understanding of kind of how you got here and the software itself. So just so everybody understands, a TMS is basically the backbone of the logistics for not only freight brokers, but carriers as well as shippers. And so without getting into a full demo and trying to explain all the nuances, understand it's a SaaS product, it's a subscription product, it's all web-based it's all cloud-based. And now we're going to talk about, we're going to dive into that partnership model that really became the engine for growth with you. I mean, I'm sure that there was a lot of word of mouth, particularly early on, and I'm sure there continues to be a lot of word of mouth. But pull apart that partnership approach, that partnership model that you took you know, to kind of to a next level that really has gotten you where you are today. Can you break that apart for us a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I saw that, you know, I've got friends, you know, like you do that have started all kinds of different companies, uh, many software companies, and they get VC money and they just spend an inordinate amount of money on marketing. And, and basically it's wasted. They, they don't know if they're really getting a return on it. And their cash burn is just insane because they're wasting money.
0: Yeah. It's raise, spend, hope. Raise, spend, hope. Absolutely. Raise, spend, hope. Yeah. It drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, so I realize that you know the only way forward, especially if you've got a very very low cost product. I mean, even our premium system is only sixty nine bucks per per user per month. You know, you've got a one of my friends, one of my employees said it's like uh, picking up nickels. You know, we pick up nickels all day long, and you've got to have a process for picking them up because you're not going to get profitable. We're not selling million dollar systems where you you know make money when you you know you get that check. We've got to have thousands of customers to make money. So. I realized that the only way forward was to have a different kind of kind of marketing and educational model. And so, as you know, Dennis, in the world of logistics and trucking, there are about a dozen or so services, maybe a half dozen services that people use on a daily basis. Things called load boards, DAT and truck stop, for example. There are factoring companies that people use to essentially give them money before they get paid, before they can get paid. So rather than wait 90 days for Coca-Cola to pay you, you can get paid right away, and they'll wait 90 days for Coca-Cola. So there's all of these companies that have lots and lots of customers also, and they're complimentary services. So I said to myself, what we should do is we should look at ourselves as being a core daily operating system for these trucking companies. And we should add on, as add-on services, each of the extra third-party services they need. And we got all kinds of requests. It wasn't difficult. People say, oh, can we post loads to these places or can we you know, search trucks from these places? So we went out and we bought ourselves a, a procedural system called Target Process. It's a, essentially a project management system. And every time we got a request for a, an integrated service, we would add it to a special list. And then we were starting to collate all of the things that people were asking for. And so within a few months, we got like a almost like a David Letterman top 10 list. And we had the top things that people wanted to connect to through their TMS. They didn't want to, in other words, log in separately. They wanted it to be part of their core daily experience inside their core software. And we went to those people and said, hey, we now have, you know, 122 people have asked us to connect to you. Would you be willing to do that? And at first, I'll be honest with you, for the first year or so, people said, no, who are you? No, we're not going to do that. It was like hitting your head against a brick wall and you got bloody real fast. So I'm not going to pretend that this was easy. All these entrepreneurs listening to your, your show here, Dennis, are going to be like, oh, it's so easy. Yeah, but you know, as well, you know, as well as I do, what they think is easy and is an overnight success <laughs> took 20 years. That overnight success is two decades in the making, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. So the first thing you did was you made a list of companies that were complementary. Yep. To what you were doing, but not competitive, right? And where where your users would like to do some sort of integration and just make it easier for those two systems to communicate, integrate.
1: Yeah, it's like a sandwich. You know, two pieces of bread on top of each other technically is a sandwich, but it's not very tasty. You know, but if you you know add complementary things to the the bread, ham and some turkey and mayonnaise and you know tomatoes and lettuce, you now have a really really appetizing thing that everybody wants. So that's what we did. We we added the things that people wanted the most. And then people would tell their friends the best advertiser is Dennis Trucking and you go and you're using our system and two of the things you requested just went live. And who are you going to tell? You're going to tell all the people you know in trucking about how great Ascend is because we do the things that you ask us to do for free. We don't charge Dennis for these things. They're for free.
0: Yeah. So you got, you ended up getting a lot of word of mouth because you actually, your users actually felt as though you were listening to them and yep. then you were providing more value than, than what they originally signed up for, which is, obviously a great value proposition for them. So it wasn't easy to get those partnerships started, right? Or those integrations started. So that was step number one. But who was the first big integration that you did? Do you remember the big partnership, the biggest partnership integration that you
1: did? Oh, that's a great question. I think it was either DAT or truck stop. I can't remember which one it was. I know that I- Makes um, sense. Yeah. I remember you know flying up to Portland and sitting down with DAT in their office and there were three or four people in the room. And I remember there's a big whiteboard of me trying to explain, you know, to these people, you know, why they should integrate with us and spend the you know the time to do so. And you know, one of the biggest problems you've sometimes got when you have these meetings with people is there's always one or two people in those meetings that is trying to not do the integration. There's a reason that they're not saying why they don't want to do it. In the case of DAT, my feeling was is that they were just overloaded with other things and they just did not want one more thing to do. So I had to quickly pivot in the meeting and explain that we were going to do most of the work and there was a value to this. And at the end of the day, they did agree to do it. And the moment we did it, just to give you an example, I, this is true, DAT connects to about, give or take, 80 or 90 different TMS software systems. Now, some of those systems are homegrown. Some of them are you know are marketable systems that you will have heard the names of. So we went from literally the last place when we started and today... Um, we are number two and number three as far as the, you know, the 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 total number of people that are connected through us, NCMS, to DAT. And that's an amazing accomplishment to achieve in approximately four years.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, awesome. So, you did that first integration. You probably learned a lot, right? Yep. yep. And beyond that first integration, what are some of the other, you know, what's the framework of how you were able to monetize this, right? Because I know you added some features, but let's talk about kind of how it was monetized. Because obviously, the you know, when you have a partnership, it has to be a win-win, right? It's got to be a win on their part, win on your part. If one is winning more than the other, then sometimes it's like a marriage. It doesn't last for long. So yeah. why don't you break that down for us a little bit?
1: Well, what they wanted. So um, ultimately, they all wanted more customers for their products, right? So their question was, well, how are you going to help deliver more customers to us that are going to pay us? And the answer, you know, is pretty simple is that, that our users are using the system literally every single day, seven days a week, often 12, 14 hours a day, Saturdays and Sundays. And they're going to see, you know, your emblem, your logo there every single day. And they're going to one day say, hmm, you know, what is this special offer from DAT? Or what is that, you know, that product from Triumph Pay or from whichever partner we have? And they click on it and they, they learn more. And then, they end up on that website and then they say, okay, I can save money if I partner, if I use this particular product because I'm able to not have to jump into separate web screens. It can all be done inside the TMS. And so they get a new customer and they become happy. And because they're happy, then they call up and say, hey, we're getting new customers from this. I would really, really like to expand this relationship with you. I mean, I'll give you an example. We just went live with uh, uh, the folks over at Transflow um, about two weeks ago. And um, within, uh, I think, 48 hours, they'd got over a dozen new, brand new customers, brand spanking new customers because of that relationship. And so, this Thursday, they're coming into the office to to meet about expanding that partnership. Why? Because it's working. And so, I think that as long as you can deliver to them more customers or make their existing customers even stickier with them, then that's a win for them.
0: Yeah. What I like about your approach, Tim, is this. You focused on serving the partner first. Yep. And of course, well, you first focused on serving your user, right? And by adding functionality Fair that is important need, yeah. and valuable to them. Then you focused on, on providing value to the partner with the hope and the goal of eventually getting some sort of remuneration potentially down the road. So in that example that you gave with Transflow or even with the DAT, you started delivering them customers. People started you know, signing up for their services, which obviously is the a huge value indicator, right? That's, that's the only thing you can really take to the bank, right? So when did it, how did you then, how did the conversations evolve or what did you typically do at that point to try to start bringing customers back to your side or how did those relationships work? How did the partnerships evolve from there, from phase one into maybe phase two and three, where it started scaling up for both sides?
1: Yeah so we would try to say to these partners up front that it's this is a symbiotic relationship between the two of us and it's like a marriage if if only one of us is winning the partnership will not last and we've got to make sure that that balance is is good so you know if they're winning 10% and we're winning 90% you know um then it's going to fall apart 60 40 is okay you know you, you can live with that you know you, but you try to make it equal and and so we made certain right up front that if we're going to partner with you and we're going to integrate with you, this has to be a two-way street. And the, the partnerships that we've had the most success with are the ones that have listened to that and have tried to, they advertise and partner with us and package special packages together with us. And they're the ones that succeed. The ones that have not succeeded are the ones that talk a big game. You get it up and running. The person you were dealing with leaves and goes to a different company. And then you're like a little orphan, you know, project for somebody else that doesn't really want the project and you end up going nowhere. So I always try now to make sure that the people we deal with, you know, you're dealing with an executive level, not just a mid manager level that, you know, that person, your advocate, so to speak, or sponsor may leave. And if you get the right executive that's not going to go anywhere or highly likely not going to leave, then you've got somebody that's on your side and in your court. Going forward. So that's what we tried to do, and it's worked.
0: Yeah, you got to make sure that both sides have skin in the game, that they're both actually putting effort forth as opposed to just talking.
1: You made a good point there, Dennis. You just made a good point about, you know, remuneration, right? So, you know, what I often find too is that too many entrepreneurs that are certainly younger entrepreneurs, what they want to do early on is get into conversations, not only about the integration, but how we're going to pay you a percentage and you're going to pay us in a percentage. And what happens is, they get bogged down in that you know, how you're going to pay each other and then audit each other's numbers. That's a wasted conversation because what you need to do first is get the integration out, see if it's a success, and then if it's a success, both parties have got a huge interest to sit down and figure out how to do the remuneration part, how to you know, do revenue sharing, in other words. But don't get into those conversations early on because it just adds more and more time and it confuses the, the real project at hand.
0: Yeah. And it's real value, right? You can pontificate about how many, hey, we're going to give you X number of customers and we want this kind of rev share and they can do the same thing back. But ultimately nothing matters until, you know, somebody starts until the integration is done and the users actually show interest and actually start engaging with each other's party. At that point, now the other partner who's getting customers in that example with DAT or Transflow, all of a sudden now they have something to lose because you've given them if you could deliver them 10 clients a month, they do that math very quickly on the lifetime value of a client. And if you pull that back for whatever reason, now they're going to lose that. And that's That's lost revenue opportunity. So, it becomes a lot more tangible once they might lose it as opposed to what they would gain, right? It's kind of that fear of what you might lose versus fear of what you might
1: get, right? Absolutely. And nobody wants to give up, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month, you know, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got one partner. You know, where we send them. I've got to be careful what I say here, but um, you know, we are their second largest referral source. Their largest referral source is themselves, and we're sending them between fourteen and eighteen million dollars a month in business from people that are connected to them through us. And so that's a really hard relationship for them to ever give up, right? I mean, that's a lot of business, and we are a very close, tight partner with them. And the integration started first. The success happened, and then we came up with a solution on how we could you know, revenue share on that success. And it's been, a, nobody's complaining because for every dollar they get, you know, essentially they send us a few pennies, but that's fine. You know, on, you know, 14, 16, $18 million a month, all those pennies add up to a significant amount for us, but they're also happy because they're seeing a significant amount of business to them.
0: Yeah. And the integration and the value of, the, of what it provides to the user makes both of you stickier and more valuable to the client. Absolutely. So, yeah. I love it. Perfect. All right. Listen, anything else you want to add about this? What of the, about the key components to how you were able to set up these successful partnerships? Maybe a mistake to avoid or another key point, And then we'll go through a couple more questions and wrap it up for today.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I, the only thing that just really you know jumps out at me is that you know when you talk about integration today, the whole world is going digital. Everybody knows that. The world of trucking logistics, digital, digital, digital. And in five to 10 years, there'll be no paper, period. But we all know this. But the problem is, is that when you are starting on these integrations, you don't need to solve the entire digital paradigm shift overnight. There might be 78 phases of a project. You don't need to do all 78 phases and take two or three years to get there. Break that down into the 78 phases. Phase one, have a really firm line in the sand that you say, this is what we're going to do. Write an SOW or statement of work that's got the screens, it's got the logical built so that Everybody knows, the partner in you, exactly what the finished product's going to look like. It's like baking a loaf of bread. If I'm going to bake one loaf of bread, I've got my ingredients, I know exactly at the end of the day, when I put that in the oven for 45 minutes, what I'm going to get at the end. And that's what the SOW should be. And then once you've done that and you've baked this beautiful loaf of bread, then you can do phase two, which is, well, let's also now add, say, icing and, you know, let's kind of go further down the road and make the, the bread more extravagant. Let's add some more ingredients. And so I think that the biggest problem that I often see is that people try to do too much. They bite off more than they can chew on phase one or phase two, break it down into lots of mini projects that are deliverable. People feel good when they've done, say, a 90-day project and they actually have something delivered. Developers get really upset if they spend two years doing something and there's still no deliverable. But if they can do something in 90 days and stand back and go, yay, we delivered the code, it's working, they feel good the customer feels good that you know the uh, the end uh, user and you feel good and then you do phase 2 and phase 3 that's the way you should approach it lots of mini bites
0: yeah i i love that milestone approach that phased approach and i think everybody has a habit particularly in software of trying to overdevelop things before you actually need them so I, you know that minimum viable kind of product concept and then get some user feedback and continue to develop upon it and let those partnerships evolve and marinate and Start providing some value, and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get a lot of buy-in from people when that starts to happen on all on all sides.
1: Yeah, and 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 as to some degree, Dennis, as an add-on to that, is you know, a lot of the guys that are, I know that are entrepreneurial, that the CEOs of some of the companies that, that we all know the names of, they get some VC money and they run out and they hire a hundred developers or two hundred developers. <laughs> That's too many cooks in the kitchen. You do not need hundreds of developers. What happens is ultimately. For every 10 developers, you'll get one, you know, A plus developer, you'll get two or three B developers, and the rest are C at best. And and the C guys, and even the D guys, if they make it in, will make mistakes that make the B and the A guys really upset because they're writing over each other's code, they're making mistakes. So don't think that just by throwing developers at a project means that you are going to be able to be bigger, better and faster. That is not the case. You need the right amount of people on your team and the right skill set to get something done. We get things done a lot faster than a lot of our competitors where they've got a hundred developers and we've got a half dozen. They all work for us, but our guys are all A guys and you don't need too many cooks in that kitchen.
0: Love it. Listen, rapid fire, next two questions and then we'll wrap it up. What's your favorite SaaS tool app software, something that you use on a daily basis, obviously besides this NTMS that helps you grow your business?
1: Well, wow, that's a great question. So, we've been If you had to really, pick one. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not going to mention something that's so obvious as email, right? I mean, that's just too obvious. But I'm going to say that we have become big aficionados of Slack. Slack for us has become I've never been a really big instant messenger person. You probably remember the days when AOL first had their, you know, instant messenger and and then Yahoo and everybody came up with one. Super duper basic systems, but Slack has really kind of got it right, you know, having channels, teams, The things that he does and and I I can honestly say I probably communicate more with Slack today than and than any other software we have.
0: Love it. And what would be one book they would recommend? Maybe something that you've read or you think something that might help the audience along on their journey?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And it's funny, so I'm not a a huge reader because I just don't have the time. But there was one book that has stuck with me over twenty years or so, and it's the best book I've ever read on any business subject ever and it's called The E-Myth. And The E-Myth is a book that essentially, in fact, I'll save you $10 from Amazon, I'll try and do this in 30 seconds. Essentially, what E-Myth says is that every great business usually has three distinct personalities in it that lead each area. One is the manager, one is the entrepreneur, and one is the technician. And those three legs hold up the stool. And you often find in companies where you've got, say, a really great technician, great programmer, and they're doing the work, and they, they're all upset, and they, re, they think, oh, I, I'm the one that's responsible for the profits of this company. I should be the one making all this money. And then so they go off and start their own company, and they hide themselves in the garage, and they start writing code for their new product, and then all of a sudden it's finished, but they don't have the, entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial skill set or the managerial skill set to turn that product into something because in order to create a product, that's fantastic. You're a technician, but you need the entrepreneur to go sell it. So let's just say that then that entrepreneur, uh, that uh, technician gets an entrepreneur to sell the product. The entrepreneur, all they do all day is sell and market. That's fantastic. So the orders are coming in. And the technician's happy because they're making more money and they've got this product. But now it all you know, goes to hell in a handbasket because there's no manager or no operator to be able to manage that growth. So in my experience, if you don't have three distinct stool legs that are holding the stool up, your whole stool will fall over. That means your company will not succeed or it'll reach a ceiling. You've got to have the three tenants, the entrepreneur, the technician and the operator or manager. If you've got those three guys or, or ladies, you know, people to help you along the way. And I know I'm, I'm essentially an entrepreneur. I'm the entrepreneur. I have an amazing technician and an amazing manager, my COO. And the three of us together have built this thing and it continues to grow because of that book.
0: Love it. Great recommendation. So listen, Tim, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about Ascend TMS, and then we'll wrap it up for today.
1: Yeah, just, um, you know, web address is www.thefreetms.com, thefreetms.com. If you go there and you click uh, contact us, it'll go to a group that I'm also, I belong to. So if you uh, want to uh, inquire about anything at all, if it's something not related to me, it'll go to somebody else. They will answer you. But if it's related to me, that's the easiest way to reach me.
0: Love it. Great. I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes. Really appreciate you being here. Once again, thanks for being here. Congrats on all your success. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat again soon.
1: My pleasure, Dennis. Thank you.
0: Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.